Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, May 26th, 2016. You ever have one of those times where you feel like the harder you work, the more behind you get? Kind of in one of those seasons right now. Looking forward to a little R&R and some vacation coming up in a couple weeks. Man, do I feel like I need that. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I'm your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up our Bibles and do the comparative work. Put things back in context, use proper hermeneutics, good exegesis to compare and see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose small group curriculum we need to be studying instead of, you know, the Word of God, to see if what they're saying squares with what God's Word says. Are they teaching sound biblical doctrine? Are they rightly conveying the biblical truth? The idea here is is that Jesus has said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that I've commanded. Well, where can we go to find the words of Christ, Christ being the Son of God in human flesh? Well, that means he's, well, any place where we go, we can know that we have the word of God. The question is, that is that what's being taught? Old Testament, New Testament, are these people rightly digging in and showing us what Scripture says? Or are they sending people off on a tangent, basically teaching them how to chase their own tails, get on a theological treadmill, leading nowhere, actually, it leads somewhere just not where they think that it's going. Anyway, something to think about there. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I seriously wanted to call this one the slow down episode. We're going to do three things today. We're going to do three things and, you know, and the the breaks could be like all over the place. My apologies. That's just how this episode's going to work. We're going to begin with a Beth Moore update, and we're going to listen to literally what is considered to be one of Beth Moore's most popular stories. And we're going to notice that the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. And what I mean by that is we're going to pay attention to the Word of God, the written Word of God, and the role it plays in this most popular story told by Beth Moore. And it's a fascinating story. 
Um, one that, well, there's a lot of emphasis on her receiving direct revelation, although God's word is mentioned in the story. We're going to note the, uh, where it's, you know, you know, what is the function or purpose of God's word in this story and, uh, and offer a little bit of, um, biblical counterpoints, if you would. And then what we're going to do, we'll take a break. And like I said, the breaks are going to be all over the place today. Then we're going to do an extended Stephen Furtick update. We're going to go back in time. Stephen Furtick on his uh, Facebook wanted everybody to know, uh, you know, about a particular sermon he preached a while back, uh, long before he was taking steroids. And uh, yeah, I know I said that out loud. <clears throat> it's true though. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, weightlifting and steroids uh, seems to be the thing for um, for Stephen Furtick nowadays. But this is from his Crash the Chatterbox uh, sermon series, and we're going to notice. Uh, pay attention to what he's doing with this biblical account of the fall of mankind. And then notice and pay careful attention to how he narsagites the story of the temptation of Jesus. Yet there is no biblical text that Stephen Furtick uh, seems to think that he can't make it about you or me or himself. And so that will be the first part of today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Uh, Hour number two, we're heading to Hillsong, and we're going to listen to a sermon by Brian Houston titled, What Are You Soaking In?, and, um, yeah, this is an example of Brian Houston basically engaging in messaging designed to cut people off from those who would warn them about the false teaching of uh, Hillsong and the Bible twisting of Brian Houston. Yeah, an interesting sermon that we will be listening to. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. And since we're going to begin with a Beth Moore update, that requires us to do this. Able to narsagite a biblical passage faster than you can say God laid a message on my heart. It's time for another installment of Bible Twisting with Beth Moore. Now this installment, really subtle. This is not an, a, well, a straight-up narcissistic eisegesis. This is more along the lines of something's missing and the emphasis is on the wrong syllable when it comes to the written word of God. It's the only way I can describe it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And here is one of the most popular stories ever told by Beth Moore in the annals of all of her preaching and teaching. Here we go. I want you to note something. And being filled to the measure that is specified in Ephesians 3. Notice with me that it says, in the context of grasping how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, that there it says that you may know that love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Oh, please go there with me. All right, so I'll go there with you. So it's all about being filled to the measure. And that's really going to be her point. She's going to talk about in just a minute here an example of a time when she was just filled up with the word of God and what ended up happening. But, yeah, again, the emphasis is on the wrong syllable, but we'll get there. You and I don't just need to be full. Yeah. We need to be full of somebody's love. Every single one of us has an innate, overwhelming, not just desire to be loved, but a need to be loved. You are never at greater risk, nor am I, than when we are not feeling properly loved. 
We will look for that. You, you want to talk about an empty vessel? If we do not go to God to get that cup filled, let me tell you, we're going to get ourselves into a tremendous amount of trouble because there is something very real inside of each one of us that not only needs to be full, I got to know somebody totally loves me. Okay, right, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, kind of, but this is weird. Yeah, I feel a little bit of super law heaviness here. Hmm. And then I cannot change that no matter what I do. That it's just there and it's just huge. And it's enough to go to the depths of my need. It's enough. It's long enough. It's, it's wide enough. It's high enough. I got to know that. You know, many of these in the studio audience come from around the same areas uh, where I live. And so they'd be able to testify that we do a lot of sweet talk where we're from. I go to all sorts of areas of the country and, and certainly in, in other nations where everybody doesn't just sweet talk. They don't call each other darling. But, but we sort of do. Not all of us, but, but most of us. We're sweet talkers. It's just the way we are. I remember when a good friend of mine one time said, a good, a dear, dear friend of mine, a, uh, an artist, a, a wonderful singer that said to me, she's, she's from New York City. And she said, Beth, I need your advice and I do not need your sweet baloney. It was just so, I said, it is not baloney. It's just that we find a really sweet way to say it where I'm from. You know what I'm talking about? You have no idea the letters I've received through the years that have said, you are the only one that calls me sweetheart. It just almost brings me to tears every time. At least the first 20 times I saw it, it made me just sob. You're the only one that says, beloved. You're the only one that says, you sweet thing. I want you to know something. Christ's affection for you is such. He sweet talks you. You'd be red-faced if you could hear it. It's good. It's full and you need to know it so you are not just a gaping canyon looking to fill it. It'll be the death of you. What the word of God is teaching us is how to come to him. That before he fills me up, I got to empty myself out. I- All right. So here's kind of the important part of her emphasis on the written word of God. You got to empty yourself out so that you can be filled up. Apparently you get filled up by reading God's word. You'll see that in a minute. When I'm going to come and I'm going to bring in my, my confessions of sin. I always have something to confess and I'm going to bring him, um, my concerns. I'm going to tell on people that have hurt my feelings. You understand what I'm saying? I'll do all of those things. And then after I just empty myself out before him, I want to ask him, Lord, you come and you just overtake me. See, the, the, the filling of the spirit is, is not about a spiritual gift. It's about a state of being. All right. So we're looking for, we're going to read God's word in order to be filled with the spirit so that we can experience a state of being. Uh-huh. Okay. Full. But with that fullness comes power. Oh, there's where the power is. It's in the fullness. Huh. You never know what you're going to do with that kind of power. Uh-huh. 
So apparently we're all to become Jedis or something like that. We're going to be filled with the Spirit, and and then we're going to have all kinds of power. Again, pay attention to what she thinks the purpose of the Word of God is in the story coming up from her life. Something beyond you. Mm. I want to tell you a story Here it comes. that I told many, many years ago that remains dear to me, particularly because people bring it back up to me over and over again. It's probably the thing I've been asked about as much as anything regarding stories and Bible studies along the years. But it's such a statement in my own life and such a memory of God overtaking me and enabling me to do something I couldn't do. You have no idea. All right. So this is an example by her own admission of her being filled up in the spirit after emptying herself out and then being enabled and having the power to do something amazing. Right. And again, notice what the purpose is of the word of God, the written word of God in this story. How dangerous you would be if you would live filled to the measure with the fullness of Christ. I was headed off to uh, the east. So clearly she's been filled to the measure with the fullness of Christ before. And this is an example of that. Already we should be skeptical. Out of the country to Asheville, North Carolina to speak. And I had left fairly early that morning, right after I'd gotten the girls on the bus. They were probably, oh, early junior high school at that time, my oldest and my youngest probably coming out of, out of elementary school. And I had a terrific morning with the Lord. When you're in the throes of that kind of parenting, boy, it's catch where catch can. But that particular day, they had gone off early to school and I had had all morning just to soak him in. And I'd, I'd been memorizing scripture. And I... So she was soaking. In Jesus. I'm not sure what that means. Remember very clearly, I was memorizing John chapter 1. All right, so this this is where the written word of God comes in. She was memorizing John 1. Are we going to get any of the real content of John 1 and what it says in this story? The time, and I was on the, uh, the airplane, and the way I do my memory work is I have to say it. I read it, then I say it out loud, and I read it, and then I say it out loud, and I read it, and then I look away from it and see if I can say it. So I've done it over and over again until I got stumped on a passage, and the guy sitting next to me completed my sentence, and he was not happy about it. He had no desire to memorize John chapter 1. None. None. Yeah, which, by the way, is an important passage. John 1 is one of the most important passages of all of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was made flesh. Yeah, that's right. The light has come into the world. I mean, this is an amazing text of Scripture pointing us to Jesus. So we've got the Word of God is in the story. She's memorizing it, apparently. This is helping her being filled up to the full measure of the fullness of Christ so that she can do the amazing, the mo- the powerful, right? So I, I got to my layover, and I was about to go. I was going into a small town. I was going into Asheville. So I was about to move to a prop. So I was having to go to a part of the airport uh, that was just one large room where you went off into several different halls down to the smaller plane. So it was for a small airport and a small part of the, the terminal. It was packed, absolutely packed. And our chairs were all facing one another. So I, there was a set of chairs that were against the wall, and then I was in the one straight across from them. And I was totally immersed in my memory work. The only reason I'm telling you this is I was filled to the measure. Right, so that's the purpose of the written word of God. It's to 
fill you to the measure. It doesn't matter what it says. It's filling you. She's not going to talk about John chapter 1. That's that's kind of immaterial. What's important is that you know that God's word filled her to the measure. I'd had a wonderful morning with him. And I was filled to the measure. So I had, I was uh, sitting Indian style in my, in my jeans and, and sweater and I had my Bible open on my lap and I was just going back over and back over. Boy, I was getting it. I was all the way down to about verse 18 and boy, it was coming to me. I was having a great time. And suddenly I see that the eyes of all the people against the wall are watching something behind me. And it was like a movie because all of their eyes shifted this way, this big around and they began to come this way. Whatever it was, it was going right behind me. And I'm thinking, oh, I wish I were looking. Are you like that? I'm a people watcher. I was so desperately thought, what are they looking at? And I can't wait to look for myself until it comes all the way around here. And then suddenly in my peripheral vision, I begin to see a little of it. And it is a, a flight of hostess that is pushing up a man in a wheelchair right to the end of my row. And there's nobody between us. And this place is packed. So I want you to know that Jesus went to a significant amount of trouble to make sure that I saw this man. So I wait until everybody else gets more polite. And then I go. And when I look over at him, he was the oddest sight. He looked like he was not one iota less than about 129. And I'm not kidding. This was the oldest looking person I had ever seen. Not only that, but he had gray hair that was down to here. His fingernails were every bit as long as mine. He was clean, but it's just an odd sight. His pants, it looked like that he had obviously lost a lot of weight because they were just bunched up. I'll never forget how he looked. And he was just, his head was just hanging down like this. And his hair was in strings like this. Huh? Whoa. It's one of those times where you think that is Howard Hughes. That has got to be Howard Hughes. You think any moment I'm going to have an Elvis sighting. You know, it's that kind of thing. That this is what's happening in the airport today. And so I just, I can't, I can hardly take my gaze off of him. So I try to get my face back down my bubble, go back to my memory work. This is how much God thinks of us just memorizing scripture, but not do anything with it. Uh huh. And what would be the John 1 passage telling you to do something about the state of this person? Yeah, this is interesting here because again, the whole purpose of her memorizing the word of God. Well, the word of God has become like, you know, the gas in her spirit tank, you know, giving her the power to do something amazing. It doesn't really matter that it's John 1 is about Jesus. This story isn't about Jesus. It's about Beth Moore being filled to the measure and doing something powerful. Because the Lord begins to compel my heart, overwhelms me, overwhelms me. Well, I have learned, I've walked with him a long time. I knew by now, that is scary. That God is up to something when he is overwhelming your heart like that. And I just thought, oh, please, God, no. Oh, please, please, God, no. I thought she was filled to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Hmm, little inconsistency in the story. My apologies. Because I'm already knowing he wants me to witness to this man. And so I say to myself in my spirit, now I'm not talking out loud, but in my spirit, I'm talking to God silently. And I'm saying, I'm sure my mouth is going. <laughs> because I say to him, do not make me witness to that man. Put me on the same plane with him. I'll happily witness to him on the same plane. But do you, do I have to do it now? Cause I had that, whoa, whoa, where that now, whoa, that now kind of feeling that gets in your soul where, whoa, where it's like, the- she looks like she's going to hurl. Holy Spirit in you is standing up and going and you're going like this with him. <laughs> that horrible 
feeling when you know something is about to happen that you would not have chosen to do. And now, I'm a- now, so the emphasis is now on the direct revelation she says she's getting. Doesn't matter what the Gospel of John chapter 1 says. No, that was just used to fill up her tank. Now we have claims of direct revelation. We continue. I tell you, as clear as I'm talking to you now, the Lord spoke to my heart. Then very few times I've ever heard God be this articulate with me. And I'm- All right, so this is an articulate direct revelation that she's claiming. I'm telling you word for word, these words came into my heart. I'm not asking you to witness to him. I'm asking you to brush his hair. Lord, that man needs witnessing to. What good is combed hair if a man is lost? And I can tell, Lord, that man, I am your witness. I am your witness. I am your witness. I am your your girl. Me. Again, I thought she was filled to the full measure of Christ and his love. You know, you know, her tank was full from memorizing John 1. Me, I got the pla- I got the Roman road, amen? Still in my heart. I mean, we are just having a fight. I didn't tell you to witness to him. I told you to brush his hair. I thought, I don't have a hairbrush. You know, I fixed my hair. And then it's done for the day until I unfix it. And that brush is in the luggage. You understand what I'm saying to you? Again, I thought she was filled to the full measure. I mean, isn't that the whole point here? And here she is arguing with what she believes is the voice of the Lord. Now, I'm going to point something out here. What was the function, again, of the written word of God? It just filled up the tank. Now she's going to go do something powerful because now the real word of God apparently has come. And it's the direct revelation she claims she's receiving in her heart. Let me read a couple of passages of Scripture to you. Number one, about the sufficiency of Scripture itself from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul, writing to Pastor Timothy, says, But as for you, this is uh, 2 Timothy 3, starting at verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's the important part. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, let's assume that this story that uh, Beth Moore is telling um, you know, is all the facts are true, you know, regarding the uh, the person involved, you know, the, this man in the wheelchair with the nappy hair that needs to have it brushed. All right, let's just assume that that's correct. Now, the question I have for you is, does the written word of God prepare all of us to, you know, to do something to help and serve our neighbor in need in this situation? All right, clearly there's an issue, there's a problem, the man needs some care, you know, he has not been tended to, uh, and so does God's word prepare us and equip us to do a good work for this neighbor in need. Well, let's take a look at a couple of passages of Scripture. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, reads thus, 
But be doers of the word, not hearers only, and deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what it's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the idea here is scripture tells us about what Christ has done for us. It And the law of God convicts us of our sin. And God's law also tells us what a good work is. All right. And all of the law is summarized in love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. All right, we know this from the word of God. So to be a doer of God's word is to love your neighbor as yourself. Here is a neighbor in need. Does God's word, has it prepared us and equipped us to see the need, spot the need, and fill the need? Well, let's take a look. James 2.15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? You see, now notice here, if she had been exegeting James in in James 2.15 and said, all right, okay, so let me give an example of what this looks like on the ground, okay? Here, there was a man clearly in need. And as the story develops, you're going to learn more about him. And after reading James 2.15, which tells us that what good is it if one of, if you see somebody in need and you don't fill it? You see, to love your neighbor is to spot his need and go and help and serve your neighbor with that need. Okay, then she would have been exegeting the written word of God and what it teaches regarding our good works as Christians. right? And Christians do good works because they are Christians, not in order to become them. So here, I mean, James 2.15, I think, would have applied, don't you think? Right, exactly. But here, and then, let me give you another text. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not... Love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Mm -hmm. So here we got two passages of Scripture, James 2.15 and 1 John 3.16, which the written word of God, equipping us for every good work, tells us as Christians to be on the lookout for our neighbors in need and then get busy filling those needs. The written word of God teaches us what to do in this situation. But she's not pointing us to the written word of God. Beth Moore is pointing us to the fact that apparently she and Jesus are so close. They have, well, Jesus talks very clearly to her in her heart, and she talks back and kind of sasses him. I mean, wow, what kind of relation? And, and, and everyone listening to this is going, man, Jesus never talks to me like that. But see, God's word in 2 Timothy 3 says that the written word of God will equip Christians for every good work. So this good work that she's about to describe 
that she's going to do. And I'll, I'll, I'll say it. It's a good work. It really is. It wasn't the written word of God that prompted her to do it. It's her claim that she received a direct revelation from God and the argument that she had. And which kind of begs the question, what is the function of the word of God in this story? And notice that we have now two words of God, the written word and apparently the word that came to the prophetess, Beth Moore. We continue. And I, the Lord's still compelling me. Come down. So I get up, walk over, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't even have a hairbrush. You know, I was supposed to be thoroughly equipped under all good work. I do not have a hairbrush. Now, notice she made it a reference to 2 Timothy 3, that we, what we just read. I'm supposed to be equipped for every good work, but I don't have a hairbrush. Uh-huh. I walk over. I get right in front of the man. His head's hanging down like this. I lean down like this. I said, sir. May I have the honor of brushing your hair? And he says, what? A little louder. Sir, may I have the honor of brushing your hair? He goes, well, lady, if you want me to hear you, you're going to have to speak up. Sir, may I have the privilege of brushing your hair? To which everyone at the airport goes, whoa. And every, I can feel every eye just piercing me just like this. And I'm just humiliated. And he looks at me and says, if you want to. And I'm going, I don't. I don't want to. I went, yes, sir. I would absolutely love to. But my problem is, I don't have a hairbrush. He says, I have a hairbrush. He said, it's back in my bag. So I go all the way around the wheelchair. His bag is on the back of it like this. I get down on my knees. I unzip this little duffel bag and I start pulling out his clean undershirts, his pair of pajamas, all sorts of things. And as I do, I cannot tell you the feeling that overwhelms me. I'm just flooded with the love of Christ. I found the hairbrushes, one of those real old uh, bristle ones, doesn't look anything like our, our brushes do now. And and when I stood up, I, I began then, I went over to him and I thought, you know, to tell you the truth, this is what I'm good at. I had two girls. I'm good at this. So I just came and I just began to brush his hair and it was so matted that I couldn't even believe it. And so I had to get down to the very bottom of it. And I, I just brushed the very ends of it. And then just a little bit, I took us forever. And I want to tell you, I was oblivious to everybody else in that room. At that point, nobody else was alive to me. I just kept brushing and kept brushing until that hair was as smooth as silk. I went back around to him and and squatted down in front of him, put my hands on his hands. They were on his knees. His head was just like that. And I said, sir, do you know Jesus? And he said, yes, I do. I said, well, of course you do. <laughs> that figures. I wanted to share the gospel with you. But no, you need your hair brushed. And he told me that his old bride... Of so many years would not marry him until he came to know Christ. And he said, I was just sitting here thinking to myself. And he wept. I'm about to cry telling you. He said, I was just sitting here thinking, what a mess I must be for my bride. He'd been in that hospital for months. He was about to return back home. Nobody had cut his hair or anything. I don't know how long it had been since he'd been brushed. That hostess came and put him on the plane and she came back out and she was crying. I mean, hard. 
And she said, what made you do that? And I said, Jesus, he's the bossiest thing. (laughs) Now, it is correct that Jesus really, truly would have wanted and does want us to meet the needs of our neighbor. But we know this because God's written word says it. That's not the emphasis here. The written word of God in this story was just the jet fuel that got Beth Moore, you know, up and flying and doing the good works. But it wasn't the thing that instructed her to meet this man's need. And yet, God's word so clearly says that. Again, James 2.15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? See, James 2.15 so clearly addresses this situation. But she wasn't pointing us to James 2.15. She was pointing us to, well, the direct revelation she claimed that she had received. First John 3.16, again, by this we know... We know love that he laid down his life for us. See, the cross informs all of our good works, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Imagine how powerful this would be as a teaching if she had said, it is what First John 3 said that made it so clear I could not turn away from this man but needed to step into action and to help meet his need. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. She didn't point us to the written word of God. No. And Christ really doesn't get the glory here. Beth Moore does. Yeah. So, um, yeah, is the Word of God sufficient? Not the written Word of God, not according to Beth Moore. No, she needed more than just the written Word of God to inform her to meet the need of our neighbor. And that really becomes the punchline of this entire story. One of the most popular stories that Beth Moore has ever told. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have an extended Stephen Furtick update as we uh, go back in time a little bit here. He wants us to know about this, so we'll take a look as he narcissists the temptation of Jesus. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. downloading Rob Bell's Lectio Divina. This is a resource made available by Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Lectio Divina is an ancient spiritual practice from the Christian monastic tradition, and in Lectio Divina we seek to experience the presence of God through reading and listening, prayer, meditation, and contemplation. Lectio Divina can be done as an individual or a group. Are you ready to begin? Yes, I guess I am. All right. Begin by choosing a section of scripture that you would like to read and pray. You can choose the text randomly, or use a liturgical book like the Book of Common Prayer. Try not to set a goal for how much content you will cover. The goal is to listen for and experience God and His presence. Um, I guess I'll go randomly then. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch a scripture by its toe. If it's gospel, let it go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Preparation for Lectio Divina. Next, do what you must to quiet and prepare yourself to hear from God. If you need to find a quiet room or sit in silence for several minutes or sit in a comfy chair, take whatever posture will help you prepare to receive and experience God's presence. Okay, let's see. I've got my comfy chair and... Oh, no. Hold on a second. You out there! I must want to experience the presence of God if you're using a jackhammer! Shut up! Don't feel sorry about that, ma'am. Yeah, you better be sorry! Next, when you sense that your heart is prepared, begin by slowly reading the passage of scripture that you have selected. Don't move too quickly through any sentence or phrase, and as you read, pay attention to what word or phrase or idea catches your attention. Okay, I don't know when I'm supposed to be ready. There's no, there's no kind of timer on me. Anyway, um, the passage of scripture. Judas hung him, himself. Judas hung himself. Judas hung himself? Next, begin to meditate on the word, phrase, or idea that captured your attention. Repeat it again and again. Hung himself. Hung himself. Hung himself. What thoughts come to mind as you meditate on this word, phrase, or idea? Suicide? What are you reminded of in your life? Um, an early death? What does it make you hope for? A different passage of scripture? Next, begin to speak to God. Tell God what word, phrase, or idea captured your attention and what came to mind as you meditated upon it. Lord, the phrase was... Judas... Hung himself. It's not a good feeling. How is God using this word, phrase, or idea to bless and transform you? How should I know that? Tell God what you have been thinking and feeling as you've listened and meditated. I'm feeling depressed. Tell God how you hope this word, phrase, or idea will change your heart to be more like his. This is rubbish! A complete waste of my time. I could be out trimming the petunias or burying the cat or something. If I'm going to experience God, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. Just open the Bible and read it. Don't be so silly and modern. Everybody knows that you can't experience God that way. 
This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that so-called direct revelations from God are, in fact, distractions away from the Word of God. Because that's exactly what they are. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a, a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount of money that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. And uh, the way you do so, again, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the join our crew button. And our four ranks for the crew are Powder Monkey, which is our lowest rank, at $9.95 a month. After that, it is the uh, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. And then after that, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. And, of course, all of the support helps us to be able to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you in the world. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, it's time for a Stephen Furtick update. This will be an extended one. Here we go.
you are a man of God, your hair strategically cut to the new style. The fever was fake and hot. You have one eye on the camera as you watch the crowd applaud. All of the pastors dreamed you'd be their mentor. You'd be their mentor and you're so vain. They'll probably think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. Don't you think the Bible's about you? Don't you? Don't you? You fooled me several years ago when I was just a baby sheep. Well, you told me we were made to serve and my time was all you'd need. But you Real gospel, heard the real gospel, and you're so vain. You probably think the Bible's about you. You're so vain. I bet you think the Bible's about you, don't you? Don't you? All right, so we're heading out to Elevation Church, a little bit back in time, if you would. Uh, Stephen Furtick and the gang thought this would be an important segment for you know for us to revisit, so they put it on their social media, and uh, we went back and took a look at the sermon in its entirety and thought, yep, this is a prime example of narcissistic eisegesis, otherwise known as narcissus, which is what Stephen Furtick is known for. Let me back off on the music. So what we're going to hear is he's he's going to be talking about two things which, by the way, are very important passages. Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of humanity into sin through the temptation of the devil and then the temptation of Christ. And one plunges us into the misery that we find ourselves in. And the temptation of Jesus is so important because Jesus goes toe-to-toe with the devil and where we all fail. None of us has the ability to stand before the devil on our own steam toe-to-toe and not be tempted by him and fall into that temptation. Where we fail, Jesus succeeds, and he succeeds for us. This is an important part of it, because Jesus is tempted in all ways that we are, and yet is without sin, Scripture says. And, well, is that where Stephen Furtick is going to put the emphasis? Uh, No. And so, Here's the idea. We're going to listen to two portions from the whatever, whatever sermon from the Crash the Chatterbox sermon series, uh, which, again, the folks over at Elevation are the ones who made sure that everybody knows about this this message by posting it on social media. So we'll kind of pick up and we're going to listen as he kind of finishes the tail end of his narcissism regarding man's fall into sin. Apparently, this has to do with listening to the right messages and, again, extended uh, segment because you got to hear some of this stuff. Here's Stephen Furtick. Dialogue. See, the dialogue I participate in determines the destiny that I experience. Oh, yeah. yeah. The dialogue I participate in will determine my destiny. Uh-huh. Right. Destiny. Destiny. No escaping that for me. Okay. And see? And a lot of us aren't fulfilling our calling because we're having the wrong conversations within ourselves. 
right, because Genesis 3 is all about learning how to have the right conversations so we can fulfill our calling and our destiny. What? Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. In Isaiah... Yeah, I bet you are. Five, God gives an invitation. He says, come, listen to me. Listen, 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 and your soul shall live. Eat what is good, and your soul shall live. Well, that made me think about Genesis chapter 3. Because in Genesis chapter 3, there was another voice. God had put Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember, he spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And everything we see started because of something that God said. But then in Genesis chapter 3, another dialogue starts. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. All right. So Genesis 3, looking at it. It says that one day... The, the serpent, the serpent represents Satan. I think it's so interesting how when we see the devil represented in Scripture, he always shows up in a different form. It, uh, what? Let's us know that the devil will do whatever he has to do and take the form of whatever he has to take the form. He'll say it through your boyfriend. He'll say it through your sister. He'll say it on TV. He'll put- um, we've all already fallen. We were born in the dominion of the devil. Um, wow. In the newspaper, he'll say it on your text message. He will say whatever he has to say to get you from seeing who you really are. He, he- right, yeah, the devil's all about seeing me, who I really am. By, and I, of course he doesn't mean by that. The devil doesn't want you to understand that you are a sinner, that you are totally under his dominion and control, and you have got no way to save yourself. doesn't want you to know that about yourself, because if you know that, then you're ready to hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to earth, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, suffers under Pontius Pilate for your sins and for your salvation, and is calling you to repent of your wickedness and to be forgiven. The devil doesn't want you to hear that, but that's not what he's talking about. Verdict here is talking about how important you are in your destiny is. And apparently the devil doesn't want you to know that. So he's going to take on any kind of form he can to knock you off of your destiny. He wants to interrupt your destiny. And so Adam and Eve were destined to stay in the garden forever, enjoying God's goodness in unbroken fellowship with the creator and sustainer of light and life. But here comes the serpent. Watch this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. It's crafty. Yeah. He knew what to say and how to say it. And he said to the woman, invitation to dialogue, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman, verse 2, said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Isaiah said, eat and you will live. The serpent wants you to eat so you will die. Every time you believe a lie, something inside of you dies. Um. (laughs) There's a whole lot of dying going on in the sermon then. Every time you believe the truth, your soul comes alive. It's a choice. It's a choice. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the trees in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not, verse 4, certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, all my life I've studied this passage and I thought that uh, Eve was led astray 
because of something the serpent said to her. Look at verse one. The serpent said to the woman. I thought that's where it all went wrong because she, she was tempted by the devil. No, I saw it a little bit differently preparing for this sermon. Uh, okay. How, how'd you see it? Because Eve went down in verse two when she had to speak back to the serpent. That's where the whole thing went down. The, 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 the serpent said to the woman in verse one, look at verse two. The woman said to the serpent. Now there's a dialogue. And when you open yourself up to dialogue with the enemy, you've already lost. Ah, so you win if you just don't dialogue with the enemy. Uh-huh. You, you are aware we're all already born dead in trespasses and sins, right? Mm. 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 Dialogue, destiny. You get to choose. Dialogue, destiny. Who you listen to. You're not a helpless victim of your thoughts. Just because something is suggested doesn't mean you have to go along with it. I call this switching streams. Yeah, it's not what the Bible calls it because the Bible doesn't teach this doctrine that we're hearing. Switching streams. And I got the idea from Twitter because I have this friend. All right, so the switching stream doctrine comes from Twitter and one of his friends. And he's real... He's really public figure. He's really well known. And he told me one time, he said, I don't go on Twitter. Well, then one day he was over at my house and he, and I saw him checking Twitter. I said, busted. You told me you don't go on Twitter. Cause he was trying to talk me out of being on Twitter. And I said, you said you don't go on Twitter. He said, I don't. I said, you're checking it right now. He said, well, I go on, but I stay home. I said, That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Number one, you're at my house right now and you're checking it. And number two, what does it matter where you read it at? You said you didn't read it because it was too negative. He said, no, 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 no. I stay home. And he showed me this little house icon. Now, this screenshot is from Chris Brown's Twitter. Our Chris Brown, not R&B Chris Brown, our Chris Brown, cutie pie, you know. And uh, married, happily married. And... uh, I always point that out to the middle school girls. I hate to crush their heart. Chris getting old though. I don't know how much longer he's going to be a heartthrob. I might can throw that disclaimer away. Anyway, still looking good. Anyway, this is who he follows on Twitter. This is what my friend was explaining to me. He said, I always stay. He said, see the house. I only click on the house. That's my rule. Cause that's the people I chose to follow. He said, now, if I click on this thing, this is the one where people can message me. That little app sign. He said, I never click the at. That little dot means you've got new messages. Somebody's trying to talk to you. He said, but just because they're trying to talk doesn't mean I have to listen. So I go on Twitter, but I only read what the people have to say that I signed up to follow. 
I don't get into the part where anybody can say anything to me at any time about anything. I don't have time. I ain't trying to hear what they think. I'm staying home. I made a pre. These are the people that I have given access that I've said, I want to see what you have to say. And God told me to tell some of you, you need to switch streams. You need to get back home. Notice he just played the direct revelation card. God told me to tell you. Uh-huh, yeah, not from the written word of God. But that this tells you a lot about Stephen Furtick, does it not? Yeah, that's right. If if uh, he hasn't given you permission to speak into his life, then he's going to make sure that you don't have the ability to tell him that he's twisting God's word and speaking lies to people. No, he's made very clear that he's not interested in hearing from any of his critics and those who would dissuade him or tell him that he's doing something wrong and unbiblical. Yeah, that's pretty much what's going on there. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to his uh, point regarding promise and premise. Yeah, let's uh, fast forward a little bit. This is where he now talks about the temptation of Jesus and its uh, importance and significance. And really, this is, again, another fascinating um, look into Stephen Furtick's psyche, but not a right understanding of the Word of God. Number five. I'll do this one fast too. Premise and promise. We did Isaiah 55. Listen to me, eat what is good, and your soul shall live. We did Genesis chapter 3. Listen to the serpent, eat what is forbidden, and your soul will die. You see how? Yeah, notice he's allegorizing now the fall of man. Works. (laughs) Your thoughts are to your soul. What food is to your body. Says no biblical text anywhere. It's what you eat. It's what you feed. By the time we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Let's look at this briefly together. And Jesus is being tempted. Scripture says Matthew 4 verse 1. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Hey, that should help you right there. You think that you're not God's child or that you're not loved by God or you can't be used by God because you have these thoughts, you have these temptations. If Jesus was led by the Spirit to be... Yeah, actually, it's not that. I don't know anybody who sits there and goes, man, I can't possibly be a son of God because I'm being tempted. Wrong. No. When people start having those types of thoughts and feelings, it's because they've given in to those temptations and they have guilt. And they need to hear about the forgiveness of sins and that Jesus can forgive even that sin. That's what they need to hear. So he isn't even setting this up right. Yet he was the perfect son of God. You you think God's going to stop loving you because you're tempted? It's not a... No, no, no. That's not what people experience. It's not because they're tempted. It's because they give in to the temptations. That's why this passage is so important because Jesus didn't lose. He didn't give in to the temptation. And to be tempted. Doesn't become a sin until you go with it. And so here's Jesus and he's tempted by the devil. Now, most theologians believe that this wasn't some physical appearance of the devil. We're always looking for a cape and horns. The battle was in his mind, his mind. And the thought, a suggestion. This is how it works. Verse 2. 
After fasting, this verse is obvious, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thanks, Matthew. You see how ridiculous that is? Of course he was hungry. Verse 3. The tempter came to him because the enemy will always attack you at the area of your vulnerability. So now, notice, this isn't about Jesus conquering the devil for us. It's Apparently, these are strategies now so that we can you know, overcome temptation. Yet, Jesus here is going toe-to-toe with the devil for us, and he defeats the devil. Doesn't give in to the devil's temptations. So, I don't know if you believe in the devil or not, but just even if you believe in human nature, we're always tempted at the point where we're most vulnerable or i should say in the times where we're most vulnerable that's why you tend in certain seasons of loneliness you don't have the defense mechanism to stop the thoughts or when you're tired or when you give out or when you've been rejected or when you're stressed out that's when you feel like i can't stop the thoughts from coming it's the time when you need the defense the most but you're able to access it the least so the enemy waited till the perfect time the opportune time to tempt jesus and the tempter came to him. Doesn't this look just like Genesis 3? That's why they call Jesus the second Adam. Because he did it right. Of course this looks like Genesis 3. Because right, he did do it right. He didn't give in to the temptations of the devil. So here, Furtick is making the connection. There is a direct connection between Genesis 3 and Matthew 4. Um, yeah, the connection is obvious. Same temptation, same tempter, different outcome. Right. That's because Jesus was coming to bleed and die for our sins, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was tempted and was without sin. said, if you are the Son of God, that's next week when we talk about insecurity. Tell these stones to become bread. Look at the premise of this argument. If you are the Son of God, when we say premise, we mean a logical Um, starting place of an argument that's meant to lead to a certain conclusion. That's the premise. If you are the son of God, you need to prove it. Yeah, you left an important part of the context out here, by the way. Context, context, context. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 3 gives us the context for what's going on in the temptation of Jesus. And uh, here's what it says. Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending uh, like a dove and coming to rest on him, and behold... A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So what's the devil going after then in Matthew 4? If you are the Son of God. The devil's going after the Word of God. The Word that pronounced that Jesus is the Son of God. And now, what is the devil all about? Getting you to doubt God's Word and to doubt God. That's what the devil is all about. So, um, yeah, he left out that important part of the context. We continue. Cool. Look at Jesus. He was preloaded with the answer because you've got to decide what to tell the devil before he ever knocks on the door. Um, Jesus is preloaded with the word of God. Jesus 
you know, basically beats off the devil with the Bible stick. Um, yeah. You can't decide when he comes and you're hungry and you, you got to decide before he shows up at the door. Verse- Notice that apparently the temptation of Jesus is all about a parable. That's not the important thing. It's about you. You got to learn from this. Here's how Jesus did it. So you got to do it this way too. I mean, yeah, because you, you, you got to achieve your destiny the way Jesus did. Yeah, the problem is this is a really dangerous text to be doing this with narcissism with. <laughs> Boy, do I mean that because uh, of the Christology in it. Jesus answered, it is written. What's that? That's the promise. Um, no. So notice what he's trying to do here. He's trying to smuggle something into the scriptures that isn't there. Oh, it is written. Well, that's the promise from God about your destiny and stuff like that. No. Jesus is going to answer, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's not a promise. That's a statement from God. It's, it's good uh, biblical theology. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, devil, I'm not even having this argument with you because your premise is jacked up. Uh, No, that's not a proper or correct way of um, paraphrasing what's going on here. I'm not even having this conversation because your starting place is so fundamentally incorrect. If you are the son of God, you don't have to tell me who I am. I know who I am. I've always been the son of God. I've always been a child of God. Now pay attention here. So he's, he's, (laughs) he's speaking Jesus's words in first person. And he's going to switch channels here very quickly here. And he's no longer going to be speaking for Jesus. He's going to be speaking for you. In, in other words, you are the son of God in the same way Jesus is. Watch what he does here. In fact, I just spoke with my father this morning and he reminded me that he loves me and he's pleased with me. I'm not the son of God because you say I am. I'm the son of God because God says I am. I'm not confident because of what I can do. I'm confident because of what God says he will do. I'm not forgiven because I've earned acceptance. I'm forgiven because God says he has forgiven. Help me preach. I'm not going to do it because I think I can. I'm doing it because God said I could. I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, notice what he did there. Yeah, Narsagi to the text and just, I mean, Jesus' words just become his own and they're not about Jesus anymore. They're about him. Wow, is that bad. Who strengthens me? Go from the promise to the... I was talking to a guy the other day. He wanted to ask me something. And I said, your question doesn't even deserve an answer. Your question doesn't even... Get a better question and I'll answer it. But I'm not letting the enemy define my premise. I'm letting God's promise be my premise. Y'all don't have time for me to develop that. That's way too deep. I can see it. Everybody's eyes just roll back. Uh-huh. It's not that it's too deep. It's narcissistic eisegesis. 
and you're not pointing us to Christ and what he has done for us. You're turning his life into some kind of a parable, you know, so that we can learn strategies, tips, and principles so that we can overcome the devil rather than trust in the one who has overcome the devil for us. And that is the problem. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. A uh, Brian Houston sermon, and this is an example of trying to cut people off from those who would speak biblical sense to them about Brian Houston's Bible twisting. No joke. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Hillsong, Sydney, Australia. Brian Houston presiding. Name of the sermon is What Are You Soaking In? Uh, by the way, uh, all false teachers, yep, uh, their biggest fear is that you're going to hear the truth and realize that they're not speaking the truth to you. And so one of their tactics, and this is is a tactic that's used by false teachers and cult leaders, is to basically find a way to poison the well so that anybody who would speak biblical sense to them to open their eyes to the truth would, uh, well, they would be demonized. Yeah, you you don't want to listen to those people. And this is an example of Brian Houston poisoning the well so that people will not listen to those who speak biblical truth to those at Hillsong, lest their eyes be opened and they see that they're being deceived. It's the best way I can put it. So without any further ado, here's Brian Houston, and what are you soaking in? What are you soaking in? That's what this message is called. What are you soaking in? Every single person who can hear my voice has a right to your opinion. But I've never seen opinion build a church. Mm, So there you go. Everybody has a right to their own opinion, but opinion doesn't build the church. Well, that's funny because uh, your critics, Brian, are not giving their opinions. They're pointing you back to what the Word of God says. And the church is actually built and created by the Word of God. Matter of fact, there's very little I've ever seen opinion build. So what are you soaking in? I'm thinking in terms of being opinionated, because it's kind of like being marinated. You are soaking in opinion. And sadly, some people, they are soaking in opinion. And because they are soaking in opinion... Number one, their contribution is actually smaller, not greater. And the reality is what it adds and what it contributes is often not helpful. Yeah. Do you want to be part of something bigger than stop, you know, giving us your opinions? Right. Yeah. uh It's entirely the opposite. And so there's nothing wrong with opinion. It's all about wisdom. And when's the right time to share our opinion and what opinion can actually build and what, in fact, at times it instead of building, diminishes. And so, Romans chapter 12, verse 16, says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. The scripture says, let's not be wise in our own opinion. The world holds very closely to its right to have an opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. Well, I'm entitled to my opinion. And of course, you are. You're entirely entitled to your opinion. I just know that it's not opinion that builds ministries. It's not opinion that builds churches. And ultimately, it's not your opinion that will build your own life. And I think. Yeah, again, what is he trying to get at here? Okay, so we got Romans 12, 16 out of context. And as if somehow, you know, this is, you know, those opinionated people out there. Uh, Romans 12, let's add a little bit of context. I'll read it from the ESV. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. That means don't be prideful. Never be wise in your own sight. 
repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is the text here, but, you know, based on what he's doing with this, because he's keying in on the word opinion, yeah, we got to make sure we got something else that is uh, counterbalanced. Uh, Titus chapter 1, Paul writing to uh, Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, verse 5, so that you might put what remained in order, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, husband of one wife, children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer is God's steward. These are pastors, must be above reproach, must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but he must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, um, so that he must f- hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give ins- uh, instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. So notice here, I'm just putting this in here, Scripture makes it clear that we are to teach what's in accord with sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. This is not a matter of opinions. This is a matter of what does God's word say? What has the church always believed and confessed and taught God's word as saying, right? Uh, Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate. And I would think that um, Brian Houston falls into this category. They are empty talkers and deceivers. Yeah, those who twist God's word, that's exactly what they are, especially those of the circumcision party. And Scripture says this, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a a prophet of their own, has said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Well, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. All right, so... Notice the the contrast here. He's taking Romans 12, which doesn't deal with rebuking false teachers and correcting those who are teaching false doctrine. But Romans 12 talks about not being wise in your own sight. He's reading it from the New King James so that he can key in on the word opinion. Uh Uh-huh. We continue now. Let's see what he does. Good to think about that. You see... It's not always right to give our opinion. And a wise person knows, even when they know so much, and there's so much they could tell, a wise person knows when is the right time to share and what is the spirit to share with. And they, out of a spirit of counsel rather than opinion, often speak words, like the Bible says, be slow to speak, that because they don't constantly put their opinion out there in the front, Their words have actually more resonance, have more power. I wonder how much power your words have. Yeah, that's right. Are you learning how to be quiet most of the time? Yeah, that way when you give words, they'll be listened to apparently. The thing's about an opinion. Firstly, opinions can rule you. So many people are ruled by opinion. Your own opinion, others' opinions, public opinion, popular opinion. We can get so ruled by opinion. And so you can't live your life being ruled firstly by your own opinion because that will always diminish and limit you. And second, you cannot live being ruled by the opinions of others. We've all got to be able to listen. We've all got to receive counsel. We all need guidance in our lives. 
We all need spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, mentors, people whose counsel we value. Strong leadership has been strong enough to be able to be taught, to be able to listen. Yeah, strong leadership is learning how to keep your mouth shut, apparently. Uh, Don't give us your doctrine, because that's an opinion. Be able to receive from other people. So opinions can rule you. And I think a lot of people, a lot of believers are intimidated, completely intimidated by the opinions of others. And they're ruled by the fear of what other people think. And you know, that can become a prison for you. You cannot build anything on opinion. In James chapter 2 verse 1, it says, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ originated faith. Don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ originated faith. Opinion can rule you. And I think sometimes the less confident, the less assured you are of who you are in Christ, the more likely you are to be bullied by everybody's opinions. Second thing is opinions can bind you. I mean, people literally do diminish their lives, I believe, through being bound up in their own opinion. You see, your opinion can be holding you rather than you holding it. And if your opinion holds you, then you are being led by your opinion. And sadly, if people are being led by their opinion all the time, then they're not receptive. They're often not listening. They are not easily corrected. And so consequently, they are bound by their own opinion. It's keeping their world smaller. And I'll say this, sadly, often the smaller the person, the bigger the opinion. Yeah, that's right. If you have a big doctrinal opinion, you're just a small person. I'm not talking for one second about stature, naturally speaking. I'm talking about the smallness of spirit. And oftentimes it's the person whose spirit is the smallest who has got the most to say. And that's where we can get so bound up by our own opinion. So you can be bound by your own opinion. And of course you can get bound by other people's opinions. And ultimately you can get locked between opinions. Because there's so much opinion in the world. First Kings chapter 18 verse 21. Elijah came to all the people. He said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. So the people were caught between two opinions. One, that God is God. The other is the worship of Baal. They're caught in the middle. And if you are not strong in your faith and strong in yourself, you'll find in life constantly caught in the middle. Uh, I, I think you can hide behind your opinion. And I think sometimes people do hide. You hide the need to change, the need to grow. The need to perhaps be more flexible, the need to listen and to be taught. You can hide and, and you know, your opinion. Yeah, notice this doesn't apply to him and his false doctrine. This just applies to you. You need to be quiet and be taught. It can be quite bullying in many ways. And so that's where I talk about some people who, you know, opinionated is a little like being marinated. They're just soaking in opinion. And if you lead with your opinion, sometimes that can cause you and the real you to hide behind that opinion. And if you look at God's word, God's word is filled with godly counsel and not opinion. And there's a huge difference. Yeah, it has godly counsel as well as sound doctrine. Between having a culture of counsel and a culture 
of opinion. Because opinion tells, counsel is invited. Ah, see, there you go. Opinion tells. So if someone's basically telling you sound doctrine, saying that's false doctrine, that's opinion. Uh, see, you weren't invited to speak into my life. Notice the same, you know, that uh, he's t- talking the same way Stephen Furtick talks. I'm not inviting you in. If you have anything negative to say, if you're going to critique me or show that I'm teaching false doctrine, yeah, this is wild. Opinion is basically inflicted on you. Counsel is invited into your life. and God's- Oh, I see. So opinion is inflicted. No, opinion has its origin in the person who's giving the opinion. Sound doctrine has its origin in the Bible. It is filled with his counsel, not his opinions. And so, yes, as a church, I don't think you'll ever build a church on a million opinions, but you do need to have an environment where counsel is invited and I'm not just talking for me as the pastor of our church but for everyone who's part of a church that we invite counsel into our lives the right counsel rather than opinion because you'll find godly counsel will build the house godly counsel will build your life Proverbs chapter 19 verse 21 there are many plans in a man's heart nevertheless it's the Lord's counsel that will stand the Lord said, he, while rejecting God's word, he's talking about the Lord's counsel. I mean, the irony here is bizarre. My counsel will stand. And so let's live our lives understanding the difference between opinion and counsel. And let's, if we're leaders, not be ruled by opinion, but be ruled by godly counsel. Proverbs 15 verse 22, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. I need counsel in my life. I just need to make sure I keep getting it from the right people. And so, yeah, I wouldn't want to get it from somebody who actually understands the Bible and can show that he's teaching false doctrine and twisting God's word. Wouldn't want that. I think every person here, you never ever graduate from needing godly counsel in your life, sometimes from mentors, sometimes from friends. But I think, you know, true, you know, beautiful, 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 iron sharpens iron. Friendships will help build your life and keep you from disaster because a man's plans go awry when there's a lack of godly counsel in their lives. So we need to know the difference between a culture of opinion and an environment of counsel. And often is that difference between telling and listening, inviting. Right. So apparently it's the difference between telling and listening. Yeah. So all the prophets of old, I mean, John the Baptist too, I mean, you think of John the Baptist. I mean, he was a guy just telling people. So he was giving his opinion. He wasn't engaging in godly counsel. No wonder he lost his head. Poor guy. If only he had been able to learn true godly counsel, he would have waited until he was invited by Herod to talk about the fact that Herod was sinning by taking his brother's wife. Right, yeah. And basically ramming it down people's throats. Massive difference massive difference so listen opinion blocks truth counsel invites truth says no biblical texts anywhere you know it's knowing the truth that should set you free yet you're blocking the truth and cutting these people off from hearing it oh no the truth is not just the truth that set you free it's knowing the truth that will set you free and it's knowing the truth that will bring freedom within the life of any church any ministry as well And so Romans chapter 11, verse 25, 
It's interesting because it's talking about... Notice every verse out of context. He's not exegeting a text. It's just ripping them all out of context and stringing them together in his own narrative that he's created. Oh, wait. I'm giving my opinion. Oh, I must not be telling the truth. I should wait until Brian Houston invites me to speak counsel to him. Wrong. Jews, and look at what it says. It says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That bl- yeah, wise in your own sight is a better translation. In part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Yeah, Romans 11 is an important passage talking about the status of people who are genetically Jewish but are rejecting Christ. So, speaking of Israel, you know, sadly, because... They were so ruled by their opinion of what the Messiah should look like and what the Messiah would look like and who, what type of person the Messiah would be. And they're so ruled by their opinions that when the Messiah was right there with them and under their nose, they rejected him, didn't accept him. And if only, if only they weren't so ruled by their absolute, you know, blinded opinion about... If only, oh yeah. ...the things of God what the Messiah would look like and where the Gentiles fit and a whole range of other things. The scriptures there talking about that blindness and it says that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, they missed out. They were missing out because they were blind and they were blind by oftentimes just their own opinions. If you read for- Yeah, you're taking that out of context and it's wise in their own sight he hasn't actually exegeted the text. This is all about proof texting to find how opinions could well blind you. So, yeah, hey, listen, we're, we here at Hillsong, we're part of the thing, the new move of what God is doing. And you don't want to be like, you know, the Jews of, of Paul's day who totally missed out because their false opinions about the Messiah caused them to miss out. Well, don't let your opinions get in the way. We're part of the new thing that God's doing right now. And don't let your, your religious and doctrinal opinions keep you from you know, you know, missing out. That's what he's saying. There's a subtext to this whole sermon. Corinthians chapter 1, you'll see it right there. Where, you know, you can soon see what they were expecting, what the Jews were expecting, and what the Greeks were expecting. And so because they were so filled with their opinion, that sadly when the real Messiah is right there, they missed out on the opportunity. Here's another thing. Opinion is imposed. Counsel is invited. Says no biblical text anywhere. You know, opinions are kind of a bit more like they're smashing barge. And so that's how some people, they just live their lives. They're just ruled by opinion and they're just crash, bang, barge and they do damage. Right. So here's what happens. I mean, you know, you, you know somebody who's attending Hillsong or you know, Hillsong, New York, Hillsong, London, or one of the Hillsongs, and you hear the theology and you go, whoa, that's bad, Doc. That's Bible twisting. And so you go to that person, you say, listen, I am really concerned about you. I mean, that that Brian Houston, he's twisting scripture. And then you go, oh, wait, this person wasn't invited to tell me this. They're just stating their opinion. And so what has happened now, this, this doctrine is set in, and now... The victim is cut off from hearing what God's word really says because, oh, opinion is imposed and counsel is invited. They weren't invited to tell me that Brian Houston is teaching false doctrine. They're just stating their opinions. Do you see how that works? They do damage. 
because they're just ruled by their opinion. And opinion is imposed. And that's the difference. Counsel is invited. And so counsel, it, it, it recognizes the gap. It recognizes the opportunity. It, it, it's a different way of approaching life altogether. And so if you are a person who, on the inside, you're insecure, you will find that you start crashing barging sometimes with your opinion. And it can come because you think too highly of yourself, or it can come because you think too lowly of yourself. The scripture says, let's not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but think soberly. The person who thinks too highly about themselves, they're just telling, telling, telling. They're so filled with their own opinion. They don't. So, yeah, anybody who you know, gives you an opinion, uh, the, the real problem there is they're just full of themselves. No, the reality is the person warning the person uh, at Hillsong about the false teaching is not full of themselves. They're concerned for their neighbors and concerned that they're being taught and fed false doctrine. They don't ask, they just tell, tell, tell. And so I would encourage everyone here in life to just really think about your interpersonal relationships and the way you listen and the way you talk. And let's be people who live by godly counsel. We invite that into our life. Right. Don't listen to the naysayers who, who just impose their doctrinal opinions on you and do damage. No, cut them off. Yeah, we don't want to have anything to do with them. Imposing uh, opinion which is a very different thing altogether. And so with opinion, it's, you know, the spirit really is, I'm going to hit you with this whether you want it or not. It's crash or barge. And Yeah, that's not what makes an opinion. As soon as you get that in a group of people, there's not going to be any progress. There's not going to be any movement forward. There's not going to be the opportunity to have the kind of harmony, the united force that God wants his church to be. Right, so yeah, this apparently those who believe in doctrine and then barge in and, and just speak what God's word says and says that's false doctrine, they're the ones who are destroying unity in the body of Christ. That's the subtext of this sermon. Blessed are those who dwell together in unity because that's where God commands a blessing, not where people dwell together in opinion because we will never agree. We'll never agree on a multitude of things inside the house of God, let alone outside the house of God. Yeah, we'll never agree on sound doctrine, you know, because that's what Paul says, you know, those who are teaching false doctrine, don't worry, we'll just never agree, so don't impose your opinion. No, he says that the people who are teaching false doctrine are to be silenced and rebuked. Notice what he just did there. And so Proverbs 1 verse 5 says, a man of understanding will attain... Wise counsel. In other words, we'll invite it. Wise counsel, godly counsel, that's what we need to invite into our lives. So I said opinion blocks truth, counsel invites truth. Second, opinion is imposed, counsel is invited. Third, opinion judges, counsel guides. And here's the odd thing. This sermon is just chock full of Brian Houston's opinions. It is not filled at all with sound biblical teaching. That's a fact. It's true. You know, literally in the dictionary, if you look up the opinion of the court, the opinion of the court is, it means this is the court's judgment. And so in a sense, opinion is judgment. That's what it is. You're making a judgment on somebody. You're making a judgment on that person. You're making a judgment on this thing. You're making the judgment on the worship team. You're making a judgment on whatever it is you might have a million opinions about. 
And so opinion judges, but counsel, it guides. And it's different because when you get that environment of opinion, you know, it becomes a very hard, mean environment. It really does. And in a church, if it's all built on everyone's opinion, it actually, all of the sweetness goes out of the, of the, of the air. All of the sweetness goes out of the ministry. All the sweetness even goes out of the services because you've just got all of these people who are crash barge with their opinion. And, you know, I, I just think that when you do have this openness to learn and to grow and to be taught, uh, you know, there's a sweetness. There's a, su- there's a sweetness when you're willing to be taught false doctrine without, you know, troubling us with what God's Word really says, yeah. So often you don't you take it for granted when you've got it, but believe me, it's when you don't have it that you know exactly what I am talking about. So opinion judges, counsel guides. Isaiah twenty eight verse twenty nine. This also comes from the Lord of Hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance, and the two go together. Wonderful in counsel and excellence in guidance. So if we are people whose spirit and heart is open to guidance, rather than living our lives by opinion, then you will find that godly counsel will bring the right guidance in your life. The first place to go, of course, is the word of God, which is all godly counsel, and God's counsel will stand. But I just, I just really pray and hope that you are secure enough to be who God called you to be, which means, yes, I am teachable, I'm open, I receive, I appreciate godly counsel, I know where to get it and where not to get it. And uh, it's amazing how that will keep your life on course. Because now I'm going to point something out here. Dictionary.com, opinion, a personal view, attitude, or appraisal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a personal view. Right now, Brian Houston is not actually teaching biblical doctrine. He's teaching his opinion, and he's doing so in a way in order to cut people off from hearing sound biblical doctrine. It will bring guidance. God is wonderful in counsel and uh, excellent in guidance, the scripture says. Number four, opinion divides, counsel unites. And it's just true. Opinion divides. And strife and division comes because people fiercely protect their opinion. Yeah, he again, just take the word opinion and substitute the word doctrine, and now you know what he's really talking about. Culture of opinion is so divided, but in an environment of counsel, it's amazing how often our opinions concur. You know, even inside our own marriages and families, if you're trying to build your marriage on two opinions, oftentimes you're going to be so far apart and you're going to be so many poles apart that, you know, if we really genuinely, I mean... If we genuinely want to build the kind of relationship that has depth and strength to it, then you've got to be able to speak to each other. You've got to be able to talk truth to each other. You've got to be able to speak counsel into each other's lives. Opinions change, counsel stands, number five. If you are just opinionated, marinated, you know, soaking in opinion all of the time, so locked into your own opinion, then sadly, you know, not being able to change your opinion, sometimes you will be you'll be wrong. Sometimes if I'm just ruled by my opinion, I'm going to be wrong. So I can imprison myself 
when it comes to potential, possibility. And so let's... Yeah, those opinions, they will, you know, imprison you regarding potential and you finding and achieving your dream destiny thingy, you know? Ever be people who get too locked up in our own opinion. Opinions change, counsel stands, I mentioned. It's amazing how many things where, you know, what I thought was so important when I was younger... Now the 61-year version of me, I'm still the same person. But i got to tell you, some of my ideals have changed dramatically. Some of my ideals have changed dramatically just by being more seasoned in life and less judgmental of other people and less idealistic about how everything should be. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes in younger people it's a trap, it's a danger, and it actually, it's toxic, basically. It's toxic, so it'll cut you off, again, from possibility. And uh, number six, opinion shrinks, counsel enlarges. Again, uh, this is just his opinion, not a biblical doctrine. So opinion will shrink your life. Well, if that's true, then what you're telling these people will shrink their lives because it's just your opinion. Your possibilities. I've talked a lot about this, but Proverbs chapter 1, verse 30 and 31 says, They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. Put another way, they get what they deserve. Yeah, and that's the people who reject God's counsel and God's doctrine and won't accept his rebuke. You see, Scripture tells us to rebuke those who teach false doctrine. And so, again, this is just dripping with weird irony because the thing he's cutting these people off from is the actual teaching and counsel and doctrines of God and his word under the guise of, you know, protect, you know, we, we need godly counsel. And that's invited but never spoken without being, you know, asked for permission kind of thing, right? Because they would have none of the counsel despise my every rebuke, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way. Can I say to all of us, you know, there are times in life, no matter how wise you are, where if we all got the fruit of our own way, it's called reaping what you sow, life would be pretty sorry. We ought to thank God for the grace of God. But we also need to make sure we never live our lives so ruled on the front foot, crash and barge with opinion, that we don't understand the kind of counsel that will keep you on course and you end up eating the fruit of your own way, the Bible says, and be filled to the full with their own fancies. You know, opinion is for strangers. Number seven, counsel comes from friends. And I believe counsel is... Oh yeah, opinion is from strangers. Counsel comes from friends. No biblical text says this. He's teaching his own opinions. If you like the currency of friendship... Opinion is the currency of crowds, and a church should be built on godly counsel, whereas a crowd often is built on opinion. You know what? We're not here to be a pack of strangers with a million opinions. We're here to be a family. We're here to be a community. We're basically friends. We're in relationship. And if we live our lives in relationship and in friendship and in community, then absolutely we respect each other. We actually invite, we invite other people's thoughts, other people's counsel in our lives. We listen, we learn, we grow. But the slam and crash and bang 
that sadly sometimes Christians feel they have the right to. If you do live your life that way, even at a small level with your friends, with your family, with your husband, with your wife, inside any kind of connections or group you have, you are seriously limiting your life because your opinion will blind you, it will keep you small, and ultimately it's the smallness in a person. Which is just his opinion, not a biblical teaching. Feel so fiercely that they have to be able to inflict their opinion on everybody, everywhere. And that's exactly what Brian Houston is doing here. He's inflicting his opinion on the church. All the time. So it's wisdom that builds the house, and I don't believe godly wisdom is ruled by opinion. And if you invite really godly counsel into your lives, you're going to get... Hugh sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience and getting them to make decisions. Apparently, this is to make the decision to not listen to those who crash and barge in, you know, telling people about what God's Word really says and teaches and would correct them there at, uh, at Hillsong. What a friend will give you. Scripture talks about the kisses of an enemy. And the truth is, friendship sometimes, you know, if you're open, you want counsel. It's, we don't get in putting each other down and saying mean things to each other. And, you know, it's a godly grace to be able to tell the truth with love. But I do believe that anyone who's not open to counsel, they tend to be very filled with opinion and, well, just won't ever enter into all God's got for them. I think there are keys to sanctified opinion and uh, godly counsel. And one of those things is value yourself and value others. Because I already mentioned Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that talks about the person who thinks more highly of themselves. And I think the person who thinks more highly of themselves tends to get filled with their own opinion. But the person who thinks so lowly of themselves, they are insecure. And so sometimes, you know, the person who wants to prove that they're not a yes man, so they have to be a no man, they're not the kind of person who you'd ever want on a board because they don't come with perspective, godly perspective. They come like policemen. You know, they feel big if they can say no to stuff and feel small if they feel like they're a yes man. And so I would really encourage everybody here to understand the importance of having the right value when it comes to you. Don't think too much. Don't think too little. And sadly, some people, they just think too often of themselves. Just don't think about yourself so much at all. Let's start thinking about other people. Think about the people in our world. Opinion comes from two poles, thinking too much of yourself or thinking too little of yourself. And the, right, yeah, those who have doctrinal opinions, it's because they think too much of themselves, right? The thing I think, if you want to have sanctified opinion and godly counsel, is live your life big-spirited. Be a big-spirited person. The sm- says no biblical text anywhere. Again, this is an opinion. Your world, the bigger your opinion. And you know, sometimes in life, if you find yourself sweating the small stuff, I mean, if I think of, you know, the kind of thing that you might hear as a pastor. You know, I went to Hillsong Church. They sang one song, I never heard Jesus once. I never heard Jesus once. I heard Brian Houston do a leadership teaching. He never mentioned Jesus once. Right. By the way, this tells you quite clearly who he's had in mind the whole sermon. Mm -hmm. People who are critiquing Hillsong and saying, where is Jesus? That is a valid critique. And it's an amazing thing because anyone who really, truly comes to our church knows that Jesus, you know, Jesus gets a pretty, pretty regular mention in pretty well every song we write. 
So here's the point. Yeah, um, where was Jesus mentioned in this sermon? Where was he pre- preached and taught? Oh, yeah, he wasn't. Brian Houston wasn't teaching Christ's doctrine. Brian Houston in the sermon was preaching Brian Houston's opinions. Do you know the book of Esther in the Bible? Never mentions the name of God once. Oh, yeah. So Hillsong doesn't have to mention God either. Seriously. God, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, obviously Jesus. Not once. You're going to write the whole book out of the Bible? See, small people make these big jump joints. Uh-huh. That's who he's been talking about the whole time. And, and sadly, in Christianity sometimes, it's just far too prevalent that people live their lives small-spirited because that's what it is. Yeah, the people who are critiquing Hillsong, you know, for not talking about Jesus, for twisting his word. Yeah, I mean, they would get rid of the book of Esther. See, I mean, Hillsong is just the continual book of Esther. We don't need to mention Jesus. We don't need to preach about God. We can preach our own opinions. Yeah, right, yeah. And you know what? I think sometimes... If we're going to live our lives with sanctified opinion and godly counsel, then I think, uh, you know, we, we, we really prove our loyalty to each other when we have a spirit that invites counsel. The scripture talks about a multitude of counsel. A multitude of counsel doesn't mean you've got a million different voices, but it does mean that you're open to a spirit of counsel. But the scripture never ever talks about a multitude of opinions. Because a multitude of opinions will never build anything. If you believe it. Uh Yeah, again, not a biblical doctrine. That's just his opinion. Say amen. So why do I take time? Why do I take time to talk on subjects like that? It's because... Yeah, rather than actually preaching God's word and what it really says. Why do you do that? You know... To be honest with you, I think it all helps us build our own lives. But in a church, it's invaluable. If you care about the soul of a church, beloved, I wish above all else that you prosper, be in good and health the same way as your soul prospers. I'm talking to the soul of our church. And if that's... Yeah, that's, uh, what is it, Third John out of context. Yeah, I want you to prosper as your soul prospers. Right. It's all about prospering, right? good health, then the church will flourish in the same way as its soul flourishes. Little things like that are the things that make all the difference to the soul of a church. And it's the things that make all the difference to the soul in your own life as well. So come on, let's sometimes die to our opinion or know when it's right to hold our opinion and live our lives with an openness to godly counsel. Praise God. Yeah, so there you go. Brian Houston preaching his opinions about opinions, but not actually preaching the Word of God and rightly handling it and teaching what God's Word teaches on such a subject. No, that's that's the kind of message designed specifically to cut the people at Hillsong off from those who would speak God's Word to these people and tell them, you're not being taught the truth. You're being deceived. You are in danger. Oh, that's an opinion. I didn't invite you to say that. Godly counsel would have waited until I invited, so I'm not going to listen to you. That's the whole point of that sermon, which was nothing but Brian Houston's opinions. Yeah, sad but true. 
So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter by name there at Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you and the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>